So if you've been around here any amount of time, you've heard me say the phrase, passionately follow Jesus together. And this is the big idea of this sermon series, the best sermon ever big idea. We want to be a church that passionately follows after Jesus. I, I hope that as, we've got quite a few visitors in the house, I hope that you see one thing today, that we love Jesus like crazy at this church. And... Um, and that's been sort of our motto, our mantra, our uh, vision statement um, is to passionately follow Jesus together, which has led us to his sermon on the mount. And today we're in a section about Jesus, and it's a legal section um, where Jesus talks um, about the law and the prophets, because Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. He knew the rules. Anybody like rules? You like rules? Are you rule people? Are you? Who likes rules? Raise your hand if you like rules. There's some of you. Okay. Yep. Yep. Short story, maybe medium. Okay. Um, freshman year of college, I went to Whittier College in Los Angeles to play basketball and try to ruin my life. I did a pretty good job. And sophomore year, I transferred to a little school in Tennessee, Johnson University. Anybody heard of Johnson University? I know you two have. That's probably it. Anybody else heard about Johnson University? Good, I'm saying. Okay. Um, and if, like, if Whittier was, like, like, really awful, bad, like, it was a really sinful place, like, Johnson University was like the complete opposite. It was like uber holy, okay? Ever been to an uber holy place with uber holy people, right? And one of the things about uber holy people is they tend to like rules. And Johnson University, they love them some rules. We had rules like we had curfew every night at 11 o'clock. You had to be there at 11 o'clock. But see, there was something interesting about rule, that rule. There was a loophole in the rule, right? Because if you just sign yourself out the night before, and you didn't know if you were going to get back by 11 o'clock, what you could do is, I know a guy who used to park his car like a block away, and then just sleep in the car, and then roll in once the campus opened, and they would like give you a scowl as you came in, because you, you sort of bent the rules, right? There's a rule about... No shorts and no sandals, because they didn't want anybody to stumble over my calves, apparently. I'm not sure, right? So my cankles, apparently, right? And so, and, and, and so uh, a couple of us at the semester break, we decided, listen, we just, we can't, man, we can't deal with this rule. Like, we need to wear sandals. It's hot down here. Sandals are great. They, come on, they're not causing too many people to stumble. I mean, I got some nasty feet. Anyway, but I just want to wear some sandals. Sandals were good enough for Jesus, good enough for me. So, a bunch of us made a pact, and we said, we're wearing sandals. We're just going to tell every single professor, didn't, didn't you know? Didn't you hear? They changed the rule on that. <laughs> and wouldn't you believe it, by the end of the year, the rule actually changed. They're like, oh, apparently somebody changed the rule, and everybody got in a big conundrum about it, and eventually everybody was like, oh, I guess they did change the rules. They didn't, but then they did, right? There was a holy circle in, uh, in, at Johnson University. In the middle of the holy circle was a holy pond and a holy chapel, and you couldn't do certain things. You couldn't be in there at certain times. Um, and so there was this guy 
who like decided on a bet that he would maybe take a swim in the holy pond with less than a certain amount of clothes on. And um, on a dare, I got some money out of it. And so at the end of the year, I, I got a, a phone call from my RA, and he said, hey, the dean and I and the president would like to meet with you. And I said, oh, okay, all right. So I sat down in their office, and it was the three of them, and me, and, and they said, Brian, how you doing? I said, good. They said, how has your year been? I said, man, I've had a lot of fun. And they said, we don't disagree with that. <laughs> But we don't think that Johnson University is a good fit for you. And I said, me neither. <laughs> Jesus said this, Matthew 5, 17 through 20. Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. I want to talk today for a few minutes about two legal implications of why Jesus came to earth. Why did Jesus come to earth? This is not the full version of why Jesus came to earth, but I want to look at two uh, implications, two legal implications of why Christ came and walked this earth and why he talked the way he did in this section of his sermon. First... He came to fulfill the law. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or prophets. I didn't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. In the Old Testament, the thing called the Torah, which means the law. Torah was about the first five books of the Bible, about 613 laws. Laws about cleanliness. Laws about the food you should eat. Laws about the kind of clothes that you should wear. Laws, laws, and more laws. 16 or 613 of them in the Torah. And so Jesus says, listen, I didn't come to abolish those. I didn't come to throw those away. I didn't come to get rid of those. What I came to do is fulfill those. I came to fulfill those. And Jesus can say this. Why? Because he's without sin. Jesus walked this earth without sin. I was, I was teaching with the VBS kids this week, and I said, anybody know who Jesus was? And some of them knew he died on a cross, and, and some of them kind of knew, well, that was for, to forgive us of our sins. But at one point I said, you know, he never had any sin, and they just they looked at me like, what? Right? 
Like he never, wait a minute, oh yeah, wait a minute. Even my own son, pastor's kid, was like, well, dad, there was that one time he wasn't paying attention to his mother and father and he was in the temple and I'm like, listen, show off, all right? Like, okay. He wasn't sinning in that moment. He was the law fulfilled. He was the fulfillment of the law. And he got into all kinds of heated arguments with the teachers of the law and the Pharisees of the law because they kept saying, hey, you're a lawbreaker. You're breaking the law. And Jesus said, no, 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 I'm not breaking the law. I'm fulfilling the law. Like one time, he healed a guy on a Sabbath day. He healed a guy on a Sabbath day. And instead of going, you healed somebody. That's amazing, Jesus. They went, you shouldn't be healing on Sunday. Right? Do you know that you shouldn't be healing on Sunday? And, and Jesus said, no, 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 I haven't come to abolish those. I know you're going you're gonna to think that because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get uh, kind of uh, lopsided with these uh, Pharisees and the teachers of the law from time to time. I didn't come to take those all away. What I came to do is fill them up. I came to show you what the fullness of these laws were all about. And then he came, secondly, to accomplish those laws, purpose. Let's think about the fulfillment of the law as the what, right? The what is what laws were there, 613? He came to fulfill what? Those laws. But why did he come? He came to accomplish the law's purpose. The law's purpose in the Old Testament was very, very simple. It was to help the people be right with God. Right? It, was, it was to give the people a way to know that they could be right with God. If they could follow these rules, and if when they broke those rules, they would take sacrifices to the temple, and they would, they would offer those sacrifices to God, then they could be right with God. And, and so God gave them this pathway, this purpose, this, well, why do I have all these laws? Well, these laws help you to know how you are right with God. All the other people of the land didn't know whether they were right with God, Right? We see this in Elijah and the prophets of Baal. They just offer more and more and more on the altar at Mount Carmel because they don't know where they stand with the gods. They don't know what the gods demand of them. So they just keep giving more and more and more. But this God, this God is different. He says, hey, I'm going to give you parameters so you know how to be, how to be right with me. You know how to be in right relationship with me, you've got to follow these laws, and when they get broken, even on accident, we're going to have sacrifices in place so you can be right with me. And Jesus comes, knowing this, and says, I'm here to accomplish the law's purpose. So, fast forward to the end of Jesus' life. Um, he, he, he's hanging on a cross. He, he's bleeding his body is collapsing in on itself. This is what we remembered this morning. And with one of his dying last breaths, he pulls himself up on that cross and he says these words, it is finished. Another translation could be, it is accomplished. See, see, Jesus already knew this was the purpose he was coming for, to make us right with God. Not, not to leave us with sacrifices and rules anymore, but to fulfill those rules. Why? So that we could be right with God. So he's sitting with his disciples, and he's saying, listen, 
Don't think that when I get sideways with these Pharisees, with these religious leaders, that I'm throwing it all away. What I want you to understand is that I'm bringing you my way. And my way is fulfillment, and my way is accomplishment. And when this is all said and done, you will get a good picture of this. I'm going to give you a practical example of this. Speed limits. Anybody know anything about speed limits in Montana? Right? Man, they got a cool history, right? So, until 1974, there was no speed limits in Montana. You may have heard this, right? Did you, anybody drive around in 1974 in Montana and be like, no speed limits. This is fantastic, right? There were no speed limits until President Nixon passed a federal law called the double, well, that people called the double nickel. Essentially what President Nixon said was that highway speeds were going to be 55 miles an hour. So Montana said, okay, great, we'll, we'll deal with that. The fine is going to be $5, right? And you can hand it out the window to the police officer as you drive by, okay? Right? So literally, people would have stashes of $5 bills in their, in their car because they knew, well, if I get pulled over for going over 55 Five bucks, I'm off on my way at 70 miles an hour again, right? Another five bucks. That's okay, right? So they called this the, the double nickel until 1987 when the federal government raised, uh, raised the speed limit to 65 miles an hour. And in 1995, they said, you know what? We're not going to federally regulate this anymore. We're going to let states do their thing and, and take care of their own people. And, and so from 1995... To 1999, um, the speed limit went back to, and the signs used to say, anybody remember what the sign said? What? Reasonable and prudent. Isn't that amazing? Like, what is that? For the, for the guy who skinny dips in the holy pond, that's a whole different thing for other people, right? Reasonable and prudent, right? Right? Like, reasonable and prudent. Isn't that hilarious? So, I mean, what's reasonable and prudent for you driving your Lamborghini down the road is different than what's reasonable and prudent for me driving my truck down the road, right? What's reasonable and prudent in one person's mind can be something that's very, very different in somebody else's mind. You can't imagine what the cops had to deal with between 1995 and 1999 until the government once again said, this is unconstitutionally vague. That was the literal <laughs> statement. I love this, right? unconstitutionally vague. And so then they implemented actual speed limits and people stopped driving through Montana as much as you get to Canada because you can make really good time to Canada through Montana. How do you fulfill the speed limit? How do you do it? Somebody help me, come on. How do you fulfill it? You obey, that's right. So if it says 65, you drive 65. If it's 55, you drive 55. If it's 45, you drive... 45. You fulfill the speed limit. The what is what? The speed limit. And, and to fulfill it, well, you just, you just, you do it. That's what you do with laws. You just fulfill that law. But can we dig a little deeper? Why do we have speed limits? Why do we have speed limits? It's because we want to keep people safe, Right? It's because, it's because driving is inherently dangerous. You learned this if you went to driver's ed, right? It's inherently dangerous activity. I mean, we put, we put 15, 16-year-olds behind a wheel, and it's very 
very dangerous, right? I mean, we put me behind the wheel, it's very dangerous as well, right? So, I mean, it's a, it's a dangerous activity. And if you've driven up and down that canyon, as some of you even did this morning, it's a beautiful drive. It's also a very dangerous, a dangerous road. If, if you're a visitor and you saw the crosses on the side of the road as you were driving, you wonder what those were. Those signify somebody that died uh, on a Montana road. And so speed limits, uh, what are they about? And you would say, well, what they fulfill is that you go a certain speed, but what they accomplish is that they save lives. Do you think about it that way? Do you think about speed limits that way? I, I don't know that I do, right? But I think I do a little bit. I mean, think about this. When somebody does go around you in the canyon on a blind corner over a double yellow and they're speeding, which lots of us have had this moment, right? Do we get mad that they're breaking the law or do we get mad that they're putting everybody in danger? Right. You can, so you can feel the tension here, right? There's this, there's this tension of fulfillment of the law, but there's something deeper going on in terms of accomplishing the purpose of the law. And Jesus wants to give us some tension to deal with today. He wants to give us some tension to deal with. A both and tension. Jesus wants to give us this tension. He is our righteousness. Jesus is our righteousness. But it doesn't just stop right there. And he leads us to righteous living. He leads us to righteous living. There is a tension here. He who who had no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Well, Brian... You know, when Jesus died on the cross, we became the righteousness of God. That's what it says. We became the righteousness. We have become the righteousness. Yeah, okay, yeah. We have become the righteousness. You have had God's righteousness imparted to you. You have been given grace upon grace. It's what we already celebrated this morning, that you've been given heaps of grace upon you. And so we can hold tightly that Jesus is our righteousness. There will be no one else who lives a perfect and righteous life other than Jesus. We talk about all the time, you don't even hit your own mark, right? You're like, I'm going to do this today, and then you you don't, and you go, I missed my own mark, let alone the perfect mark of Jesus, right? And so Jesus is our righteousness. That's part of what he's teaching his disciples right here. He's saying, listen, if this sounds heavy, listen, I want you to understand I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to become the perfect sacrifice. I'm going to fulfill all those laws. You're not going to go, need to go through all of those procedures anymore because I will make things right for you. And here's the tension. Some of us just stop there. We do. We just stop there and we say, well, I... I'm not Jesus. You ever use that one? Well, I'm not perfect. Well, they're not, they're not Jesus. They're not perfect. And what you're saying is, yeah, they're not perfect. Yeah, you're not perfect. And Jesus has imparted his righteousness to you. But listen, this is what Jesus also says. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands 
and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. See, Jesus is your righteousness, but he wanted you to wake up this morning and look at this. He wanted you to take an honest look at whether you actually hunger and thirst for righteousness. Two weeks ago we talked about the Beatitudes. One of the Beatitudes was, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be, come on somebody help me, filled. They will be filled. And the tension here, I think, is palpable. I think, it's, I think we can feel this tension. I think we should feel this tension. God, God, do I live in light of the righteousness that you have imparted to me? And do I wake up saying, God, I'm hungry for you to make me more righteous. I am thirsty for your righteousness imparted to me. Can I be honest with you? There's mornings where I wake up and that is not on my mind. It's not. There are mornings when I wake up and I'm on my mind. And my own needs and my own wants my own desires override the desires of Jesus himself. And I don't hunger and thirst for righteousness. And if you're a little bit like me, we can be real honest. We have a real church service in here. Can we do that, right? Like, we, we need to hear this rightly from Jesus. We have been given imparted righteousness. We are righteousness before God, but he's calling us to righteous living. Can I, can I press a little bit? Some of you are not considering that. Like, like, let me, te- let me, let me, I'm not going to look at anybody specifically, but like, I've had these conversations in the last five years with people, with, with folks who come to me with questions about, can I or can't I do this? Okay? So I'll throw one out there. I got young folks, so I'm just gonna, I'll play with you guys. This is fun. Okay? All right? Should I or shouldn't I uh, date slash marry a non-Christian? Right? And you're like, well, you know, Jesus is my righteousness, and like I, and he's cute, and he doesn't really love Jesus that much, but he's cute and he likes me, and so like I can, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring him to Jesus. This is what I'm gonna do. I'm mega, he's gonna, he's gonna love me and then love Jesus, and it's gonna work out. Or, or the dudes are like, you know, she's really, really attractive, and she likes me, and she actually talks to me. Um, so, so like those are pretty high on my list, and and so, so. Pastor Brian, can I, you think it's okay for me to like yoke up my life with this person? And I'm like, like do you just want an answer or do you want to talk to Jesus? Like, what, what, do you, what do you want? And do you really want to talk to Jesus or do you just want what you want? See, my observation is we want what we want quite a bit, Right? And then we say, Jesus, well, you're my, you're my righteousness. You're my grace, but I still want what I want. See, Jesus is challenging us with a both hands. He's saying, you are fully the righteousness of God, but you are called to a righteous life. The world should see. Like last week we talked about this. You're, the world should see that your life is salt. 
and that your life is light and it should be different. So here's a big question as we close up. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and lead us in one last song. What rules your life? What rules your life? Better question. Who rules your life? Who rules your life? Jesus didn't come to abolish the rules. He didn't come to throw them away. He came to fulfill that law and to accomplish all that is to be purposed. And he calls you into that as well. Circle back. You know me. I'm I'm not the pastor who's like, you should shouldn't talk this way, and you shouldn't drink these things, and you shouldn't associate with these people. I'm not that guy, right? You know, maybe you hire that guy. I don't know. I hope, I hope, I hope not, but anyway. Fear and trembling. Okay. You ain't gonna hire that guy. Anyway. Um, we're not that church. We're not those people. Why? Because Jesus was. Jesus gave all of himself because he wants all of Heavenly Father, I pray that you would let this just sink deeply into us. Thank you, God, for the tension you leave us in, that you don't don't just fix this for us with a list of things to do, but that you want to press in our lives, that you love so much that you gave yourself to us. And God, I, I pray that you would prompt us to respond to that I pray that you convict our hearts in the areas where where we're not listening to us, where we're not looking for you. And I pray that you would help us walk into the righteous life that you have because, because God, in this mysterious way, you've imparted that righteousness upon us as a gift. We receive it. In Jesus' name, amen.